A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm glad you joined us on the program today. Coming up in a matter of moments, we're going to be speaking with Alan Gottlieb, the founder of the Second Amendment Foundation. Our topic today, Joe Biden and gun control. On Sunday, the uh, president marked the third anniversary of the shootings at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, with a demand that Congress immediately enact his gun control agenda. We uh, wrote about this at BearingArms.com. President Biden saying there is no time to act. This is from his official White House statement. The Parkland students and so many other young people across the country who have experienced gun violence are carrying forward the history of the American journey. It is a history written by young people in each generation who challenge prevailing dogma to demand a simple truth. We can do better, and we will. This administration, Biden said, will not wait for the next mass shooting to heed that call. We will take action to end our epidemic of gun violence and make our schools and communities safer. Today, he said, I am calling on Congress to enact quote, common sense gun law reforms, including requiring background checks on all gun sales, banning assault weapons and high-capacity magazines, and eliminating immunity for gun manufacturers who knowingly put weapons of war on our streets. We owe it to all those we've lost and to all those left behind to grieve, to make a change. The time to act is now. So again, Biden calling for three things specifically uh, from Congress. Universal background checks, his gun ban, although uh, note that uh, in Biden's statement, he did not specifically talk about uh, his plan to, quote unquote, buy back those legally owned firearms that are already in the possession of tens of millions of Americans. Uh, And then the uh, third item that he talked about was repealing the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, which is legislation that was first passed in Congress in 2005. Uh, This after dozens of states had already passed similar legislation that was designed to prevent these types of junk lawsuits from being filed uh, in an effort to bankrupt the gun industry. This is something that the Clinton administration uh, worked alongside gun control groups to do as a strategy going back to the uh, the mid-1990s, trying to, uh, if not bankrupt the industry itself uh, in one fell swoop with one big judgment, a, a death by a thousand cut strategy. Well, let's just keep filing lawsuits. Uh, these uh, gun manufacturers can't afford to defend themselves against all these lawsuits. Every lawsuit's going to take money to defend, and we can bankrupt them that way. The Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act does not prohibit lawsuits from being filed against firearms manufacturers for product liability. Uh, and as a matter of fact, the uh, Connecticut Supreme Court uh, and the U.S. Supreme Court has allowed a lawsuit to proceed against Remington over their marketing materials. That's even with the Protection of Lawful uh, Commerce and Arms Act in place. So Biden's saying that this is just some sort of, you know, uh, a, a, a law that absolves uh, firearms manufacturers from, you know, product designs and defects. No, that's absolutely not true. What it is supposed to do is to prevent firearms manufacturers from being sued over the third-party actions of criminals. And that's why Biden wants to get that law off the books in order to make it easier, much easier, to attack the firearms industry. Now, we've got actually an update uh, on a a case, not in the United States, but a case out of Canada, 
uh, involving a, a gunmaker. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But right now, let's get to our conversation uh, with Alan Golly, again, the founder and executive vice president of the Second Amendment Foundation, to get his reaction and his response to uh, Joe Biden's call for Congress to enact his gun ban plan on Sunday. Alan, thank you so much, sir, for coming on the program. It's good talking with you today. Always great to be with you, Cam. Well, we uh, we heard from President Joe Biden on Sunday, the third anniversary of the uh, murders at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. And uh, the president calling on Congress uh, says there's no time to waste uh, before enacting his gun control agenda. He talked specifically about his gun ban, uh, quote unquote, universal background checks, talked about repealing the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. What's your first reaction? Well, it's a four prong attack uh, against firearms ownership in the country. One is universal background check is really a universal registration system. Second is banning of assault weapons, and they're now defining assault weapons as almost any semi-automatic firearm. Third, banning uh, magazines that hold more than 10 rounds, you know, again, you know, hurts people's rights for self-defense in our country. And then attacking the firearms industry so that any criminal that goes out and misuses the gun, the gun manufacturer can be sued for it. It's going to put the industry out of business, and nobody can buy a gun. Uh, and that's just what he wants legislatively. That's not even what he's talking about on executive orders. There's a lot more of those coming too, and I'm fearing some might be coming down the pipe pretty soon. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. Uh, I, I thought it was kind of interesting that uh, Biden did not actually announce any executive orders yesterday. Um, gun control groups have demanded a, a whole slate of uh, executive actions, including the uh, establishment of a national director of gun violence prevention, uh, as well as uh, you know asking the RTF or, or, or forcing the ATF to redefine. Uh, what a firearm actually is to include 80% or, or, or unfinished frames and receivers. Um, you say you, you do anticipate that those executive orders are coming, even though we haven't seen any to date. Well, I mean, those are other ones. Uh, there's other ones that you're considering as well. I'm glad you referenced the one on ATF trying to redefine firearms, uh, you know, what a firearm is. We have a suit against the ATF right now, and we've already let the Biden administration know that if they do it by executive order, we will add them to the suit as a defendant. So uh, that may have backed them off a little bit right now, why it hasn't come out yet. Uh, but we're surely watching what they do, and if they overstep and overreach uh, his legal authority, we will be in court suing them. Uh, you know, the courts are going to be so critically important going forward, um, given the fact that the executive branch can take these types of actions unilaterally. Um, looking at Congress, and I know you and I have talked about this before, uh, you know, on, on paper anyway, it looks like it would be tough for Democrats to get uh, any gun control bill through Congress. But we know that Biden himself talked about uh, in an interview with the Las Vegas Sun a year ago, uh, an interview that was just released last week by The Sun for some reason, Biden talked about attaching his gun ban to a must-pass budget bill, something that, you know, Congress has to vote on, and, and including his gun ban in an amendment. Um, are, 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 how concerned are you that even with, uh, you know, a 50-50 or let's say a 51-50 uh, anti-gun Senate, that Biden is still going to try to find a way to get his legislative agenda through? I am very concerned about that. Uh, that was a strategy they've used in the past to be successfully. That's how they got the Clinton gun ban when President Clinton was uh, in, in office through. They put it onto a crime bill uh, that everybody needs to want to pass and stuck it in as an amendment. 
uh, on reconciliation. Uh, again, they don't need, you can't use the filibuster to stop it. Uh, and that's a problem. And I'm concerned that a couple of the Democrats in the Senate that might stop for the more extreme proposals will cave and fold like they've already done on some other issues uh, when the Biden administration has put pressure on them. Yeah, so you're not just concerned about uh, a, a unified uh, anti-gun Democratic Party. You're worried about, uh, you know, Republicans crossing over as well. Yeah, I mean, we, we already know, like, Senator Susan Collins, uh, you know, has supported some of these gun control proposals in the past and voted on them. And uh, I'd be worried she'd, she'd flip. And there's a couple others we can't totally trust either. So uh, we have our work cut out for us to stop this. And we knew we were going to be under a, a full-fledged assault if Biden in fact, did get elected. He got elected. Elections have consequences, and that work is sure to do the stick. So, what what is your advice for gun owners right now? You talk about the work that needs to be done. What what should we be doing at this moment? Well, one uh, individually, you need to contact your elected representatives. And by the way, I wouldn't say just Congress either, because things moving in on state levels as well. Mm-hmm. Make sure that all your elected officials know exactly you know where you stand and why you oppose these measures in a in a very reasoned manner. Uh, likewise, get involved and engage with all the state uh, and national gun rights groups across the country. Uh, you know, we can't put all our guns in one basket. Absolutely. And, you know, and again, I mean, going back to the totality of those proposals that uh, that Biden had demanded Congress pass yesterday. I mean, as you say, this not only would, you know, ultimately, Alan, this is about criminalizing our right to keep and bear arms. It's about turning something from a right into a crime. Uh, to continue to possess the guns that we already own, some of the most commonly uh, sold firearms in this country today, uh, to try to hold gun manufacturers responsible for the third-party actions of criminals, to try to set up some type of national registration scheme. I mean, all of those things taken in totality, they don't just turn our right into a privilege. As I said, they turn our, our, our rights to keep and bear arms into a crime. Well, you also have other pieces of legislation like H.R. 127 you know, mm. in Congress that would demand you have to have insurance to have a firearm and demand you have it, it would cost you have at least eight hundred, at least $800 and also have to go through government psychological tests to prove that you're fit to own a firearm, which we know immediately we would make sure that virtually nobody in our country could own a firearm. They think we're all crazy because we want to own a gun to start with. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And, and you know, it seems to me so we've got the legal fights that are going to be taking place. We know that's going to happen. We've got the legislative fights. But then we also have the, the you know, the, the, the sort of uh, court of public opinion battles uh, where gun owners, we have to be engaged and, and, and talk to folks who don't know nearly as much about these issues as we do. I mean, talk about universal background checks. You know, this this is an issue that regularly polls you know, with 80 or 90 percent approval. But there was a study that actually showed most Americans think that that we already have universal background checks. And so they, when they understand what this is all about, all of a sudden the support really starts to drop. Uh, in the state of Maine, for example, there's a ballot referendum back in 2016 uh, on quote unquote universal background checks that actually got defeated. Uh, 52% of the voters said no, 48% said yes. This was after Michael Bloomberg had come in and dropped about $6 million uh, in support of this referendum. But the, the, the devil's in the details, uh, with a lot of these bills and the mainstream media and the anti-gun politicians, well, they're not gonna, they have no interest, uh, in informing voters, you know, uh, about the, uh, uh, how these uh, bills become law and what they would actually be, uh, uh, you know, uh, enforced, how they would be enforced. It really is up to us to do that job. Well, it's up to us because nobody else is going to do it. 
we have no choice. We have to do it. And, uh, I mean, we can't count on the media to represent these bills fairly and accurately. And, of course, when the Bloomberg's of the world come in with their, you know, millions of dollars with their sound bites distorting what these pieces of legislation actually do, our rights really become under threat. Absolutely. How important do you think the Supreme Court is going to be over the next couple of years, Alan? I think it's going to be monumentally important to us. <clears throat> We've got to get a case before them as soon as possible to uh, extend and expand our, our Second Amendment rights in other areas, which will help shut down some of this legislation. Absolutely. Well, again, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your voice. Uh, if folks want more information about the Second Amendment Foundation, saf.org is the website. Uh, Alan Gottlieb, thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us today, and I know we'll be talking again very soon. My pleasure, Cam. Thank you. Appreciate Alan Gottlieb joining us on the program. We, of course, are going to be following uh, what's going on in Washington, D.C. very closely. Uh, it is worth noting that, uh, as of right now anyway, Biden's gun ban has not yet been introduced in Congress. Uh, and again, I thought it was interesting that uh, Biden called for Congress to enact these uh, gun control bills without using yesterday's anniversary as an opportunity to enact any of his executive orders on firearms. So we'll be watching closely uh, this week as well to see if the White House releases any executive actions uh, dealing with firearms or ammunition uh, in the next few days. Right now, let's turn our attention. Actually, before we get to our uh, good deed of the day, our armed citizen story, uh, in our recidivist report, I did mention a, a lawsuit um, that has been filed dealing with a, now this, the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act doesn't come into play here because we're talking about a lawsuit filed in Canada uh, by uh, victims of a shooting in Toronto back in 2018, along with uh, some family members of those victims. They are suing Smith & Wesson, arguing that the gun company should not have sold firearms that were not equipped with smart gun technology. And a, a judge in Canada is allowing that claim to proceed. Yeah, this is crazy. The The argument by uh, the attorney Malcolm Ruby, uh, who's representing the uh, plaintiffs in this case, he, he's basically arguing that, look, back in 2000, Smith & Wesson entered into an agreement with the Clinton administration that they were going to uh, work on smart gun technology and they even patented uh, some smart gun technology. And they said that they would have this technology in place and all of their uh, handguns going forward starting in 2003. Well, they didn't do that. So clearly Smith & Wesson must be to blame for the fact that a uh, Smith & Wesson handgun was stolen from a gun shop in Saskatchewan in 2016 and then two years later used in the commission of a crime in Toronto. That's the argument. It's a bad argument, but that's the argument. And a judge again in Canada said, all right, yeah, I mean, we can we can go forward with that particular claim. Now, it doesn't mean, again, that a jury is going to find in favor of uh, these plaintiffs, but they are allowing the lawsuit to proceed on really, really dubious grounds. Uh, Smith & Wesson and virtually uh, every other firearms manufacturer uh, do not have, uh, quote-unquote, smart guns available for sale because the technology is still not where it needs to be to bring a firearm to mass market. There have been two guns. Well, actually one right now. There's another one that's supposed to be released later this year. The Armatix IP-1 was an $1,800 semi-automatic 22 caliber pistol, 20, 22 long rifle, 1800 bucks. You were required to wear a watch uh, in order for the gun to recognize the authorized user. 
and then the gun would unlock and allow it to be used. Hackers actually figured out how to defeat that technology with about $15 worth of magnets. Mm-hmm. Now you've got another gun that's uh, slated for release later this year uh, from a company called Smart Guns, which is uh, based out of Kansas. This is a 9 millimeter handgun, 1911 style, that is uh, going to retail for about $2,500. Yeah. Uh, and in order to use that firearm, you have to wear a fingerless glove at all times. Because this is the flaw. I, I think this is the flaw with the quote-unquote smart gun technology. Is How do you make it smart? Basically, there are two options. You can have a biometric gun, in which case you have to recognize you know, fingerprints. Or you can use an RFID chip. Then you got to have a wearable, whether it's a, a ring or a watch or a fingerless glove. But when that gun is not around that wearable, then the gun is supposed to be um, locked and, and not able to be used. From a practical perspective, as you can imagine, there are some drawbacks with both of those features, right? If you need that firearm in self-defense, what happens if you have to shoot offhand? The gun's probably not going to work. What happens if it's a biometric design and it's raining or it's cold or your hands are sweaty because you're scared because you have to use your firearm in self-defense? Is that gun going to recognize your fingerprint? Again, this is technology that's not ready for prime time. And yet the argument on the part of these plaintiff's attorneys is that, well, this technology actually was ready for prime time two decades ago. And it should have been equipped on every Smith & Wesson firearm sold starting almost 20 years ago, 2003. Now, I, I hope that that argument is going to fall short in court, but I am uh, very troubled by the fact that a judge in Canada has allowed this lawsuit to proceed based on the flimsiest of claims there by the attorneys. All right, now let's get to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, our recidivist report. We'll start there. Here's a headline for you. Man back behind bars for carjacking a 16-year-old just 20 minutes. Yep, just 20 minutes after he was released from prison. Happened in uh, Spokane, Washington on Saturday. Spokane Police Department got a call about to 1030 in the evening uh, reporting a carjacking. Authorities say that the suspect, 31-year-old Marcus Goodman, who literally had just been released from prison just a few minutes earlier, uh, approached a 16-year-old girl, indicated they had a gun, before he demanded her car and drove off. Uh, they uh, found the uh, car and the suspect just before 1 a.m. on uh, February 14th. They identified Mr. Goodman as the person who had robbed the victim a couple of hours earlier. Uh, Spokane Police Department said as officers investigated Goodman's activity, they became aware that Goodman had been released from jail on an unrelated felony charge at 10.08 p.m. The investigation showed that in 20 minutes, Goodman had traveled the roughly one and a half miles from jail to the incident location and robbed the juvenile victim. Goodman, already a convicted felon, booked into the Spokane County Jail for the felony charge of robbery in the second degree. Our armed citizen story of the day from North Carolina, where a 12-year-old shot and killed a home intruder after a 73-year-old woman was shot during that armed robbery, his uh, grandmother. Uh, this from uh, WTVD. They say when officers responded to a shooting at an apartment about uh, 1 a.m. on Saturday, they found the 73-year-old resident with a gunshot wound. Uh, they also found the um, man with a gunshot wound at a nearby intersection. That man later identified as 19-year-old Khalil Herring of Goldsboro, North Carolina, uh, both taken to local hospital for treatment of their injuries. Herring ended up passing away. 
The investigation revealed that Herring and another individual, both masked, broke into the 73-year-old woman's residence and demanded money before the shooting. As the robbery was happening, a 12-year-old able to gain access to a firearm and shot the intruders, and then they turned and fled the residence. Uh, evidence suggests that uh, Herring was one of the two masked intruders who was shot during the robbery. Goldsboro police say they do not anticipate charging the 12-year-old. The investigation is ongoing. Uh, not only are we thankful that uh, the 73-year-old is is going to survive her injuries, but again, incredibly thankful that her 12-year-old grandson was able to have access to a firearm and was able to use that to defend himself and his grandmother, because otherwise, who knows what would have happened here. And I'm reminded of these safe storage bills that have been introduced at the federal level by Sheila Jackson Lee and others, uh, Rosa DeLauro of Connecticut, Chris Murphy, uh, Richard Blumenthal, basically the entire Connecticut delegation. Uh, has uh, introduced a, a federal safe storage law that would make it a crime if, if this 73-year-old grandmother had allowed her 12-year-old access to this firearm, even though he used it to save her life and possibly save his life as well. This is why I say these one-size-fits-all policies that we see mandated by gun control activists end up having a lot of unintended consequences. Every gun owner I know is concerned about safety and responsibility. But I don't know really any gun owners who are on board with the idea of the federal government establishing a storage policy for every gun owner out there that is supposed to anticipate every conceivable situation when a firearm might have to be used in self-defense. And of course, these storage laws that are proposed anyway by gun control activists, self-defense is an afterthought. It doesn't matter to them. If you're required to store your farm in such a way that self-defense is unlikely or impossible, that's not their concern. Their concern is restricting your right to keep and bear arms as much as possible, even inside your own home. Finally today, our good deed of the day from Chicago, Illinois, where a Chicago police officer helped a, uh, deliver a baby on Valentine's Day outside of uh, O'Hare Airport. How about that? It was just about 7 a.m. Chicago police officer thought he spotted a stranded motorist. He went to investigate, but instead he heard a driver yelling, the baby's coming out, which uh, I, I suppose is, maybe if you're just hoping it's a stranded motorist, that's probably not what you want to hear. But the uh, officer in the right place at the right time, able to respond quickly. Uh, the mother, a 34-year-old Wisconsinite and child, taken to a local hospital where they're both, quote, doing great. The uh, officer, who is a 25-year veteran, about two weeks away from retirement, uh, didn't want to speak to the media, said he'd prefer to leave the spotlight to the mother and son. I, I have no idea why they're at the airport as opposed to on their way to the hospital. That's the one thing I, I, I can't quite wrap my head around, but... Uh, I am glad that that officer was in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing to assist in that delivery. And uh, hopefully the next couple of weeks before his retirement um, are more about saving lives and bringing lives into this world rather than uh, dealing with the violent criminals plaguing Chicago. All right, that is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program as always. Don't forget, you can subscribe to Town Hall Media on YouTube. That way you'll never miss a program. You can do the same at rumble.com, but that way uh, you want to look up Bearing Arms Cam and Company at rumble.com. We like to, you know, change things up a little bit. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, townhall.com's podcast page. You can find us there as well. We will be back tomorrow with more of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation, but 
Don't forget to check out BarryAndArms.com throughout the day for the latest Second Amendment news that you need to know about. Until we talk again, be well, be safe, and be free.